church. I send greetings across our network from the Bettendorf campus. Want to welcome? I want to welcome the family of Rock Island. Joining us right now, the Kiwani men and those tuning in online. This is the third week of our journey towards Christmas, which makes it the third week of our Home for Christmas series. And if you're a guest with us, maybe checking us out for the first time today, I hope you feel comfortable enough to peek in our closets and medicine cabinets to get to know who we are. We're not a perfect church, uh, but we love Jesus, and we're passionate about making him known. And if you want to get to know us a bit better, one of the best ways is to go online at heritageqc.com and find a lot of information there. But you'll also find the first two conversations from our Home for Christmas series. It's been pretty impactful so far. Uh, and we took some time early on to really understand what we mean when we say home. Because we want to understand that definition. And home is really a place where we're welcomed and wanted. That's significant to understand. Welcome and wanted. But we're using a foundational definition for when we're talking about coming home that's important to understand, and it's simply this, experiencing relationships as they, sh as they should have been. Experiencing relationship as it should have been, or even should be. You see, the, the brokenness of relationships that we experience in life, between us and even between God and us, and uh, it all goes back to the garden, the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. But Christmas is a turning point for all of that. Jesus coming means we no longer have to live in what was. Him coming positions us to be able to experience relationship with God and each other as it should have been. We no longer have to be defined by our sin or our pain or our, our mistakes. We don't have to be defined by our family junk or our repeating patterns of behavior or, or even our poor choices. Those things can inform who we are, but they don't have to define who we are. And last weekend, Pastor Jeremiah did a great job helping us understand our role and identity as ambassadors. Uh, that we actually have access to the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And what stewardship of that access looks like. What stewardship of our access and our authority and our responsibility looks like. And we took time to create a space to grab a key looking like this as a tangible and practical reminder of the access and authority and responsibility we have as children of God. And if you missed that last weekend, I encourage you to go ahead and grab one of these keys at your campus this weekend. There's a few more left. Go ahead and get those on your way out today. But the journey to this point has been really good. It's been impactful, but we're not yet done. We have our conversation today, and then we have five Christmas Eve opportunities, opportunities to celebrate leading into Christmas. The first is actually on Saturday the 23rd at 5 p.m. at our Bettendorf and Rock Island campuses. But then there are four options on Sunday the 24th, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 4 p.m., and 6 p.m. It's going to be a full day for some of us that day, but I, it's going to be awesome. And I encourage you to invite your friends and family. Let's pack out those spaces as we celebrate the coming of Jesus. But even after those moments, we're not quite done. Wait, there's more. On Christmas morning, you'll be able to access a special video online. From the comfort of your own home, you'll be able to check out a video with your family that, that provides some opportunities for you and your family on Christmas Day. And we're doing it with some bit of family-friendly fun. In fact, I have an uh, insider picture from that opportunity that's coming up. And I, I will show it to you if you'd like to see it. I mean, it's probably going to create more questions than answers, but if you'd like to see it, I'll show it to you. Would you like to see it? Okay, great. Here you go. Here it is. This is a picture from that moment. This is what happens when you give pastors Nerf guns. 
All right? I'm not going to tell you anymore or show you anymore. I just want you to know that on Christmas morning, you'll be able to go to HeritageQC.com, and you'll see the rest of the story and what's going on in that space. So, but today, we're stepping back into our Home for Christmas journey. And what I want to do today is actually just unpack one question from three moments in Jesus' life. One question, three moments. One of those moments is something that Jesus experienced. The second is something he described. And the third is something he did. One question, three moments. And I want to start with the question. I want to put the question out there first, right out of the gate. And I want to invite you to think deeply about it. I want you to process it deeply to understand how you're going to answer that question. Because it kind of forms the anchoring thought for the rest of our time together today. Here's the question. It includes your first feeling if you're using the note guide. It's simply this. What are you willing to do so others can experience home? What are you willing to do so others can experience home? Experience relationship as it should be. We're about a week away from Christmas. What are you willing to do so others can experience home? That's the foundational question for our conversation today. And I want to dive right into the first moment in Jesus' life that we're going to look at this question through that experience. So if you've got a Bible, I invite you to grab it and go ahead and click or turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark is the second book of the New Testament. We're in the second chapter of that second book in the New Testament. And we're picking up in the storyline with Jesus uh, very early on in his public ministry. He, right before this, has healed a man of leprosy. And we're picking up the story at the very beginning of chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Let's take a look at this. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back where? Oh, come on now. Rock Island, you want to get in on this too? Back where? There we go. He was back home. And, and the news spread quickly that he was there. And soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. Now, it is likely that this house was actually the house of Peter and Andrew. Peter and Andrew were brothers, but they were also disciples of Jesus. And in chapter 1, verse 29, we, we, we see their house was part of this equation. So it's likely that's where they were. But in this space, being so packed out, Jesus is teaching, and here's what he does. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. So something to understand that homes of this time period in Palestine were, were made of mud and sticks. And the only way to get through a roof would have been to dig. And they were digging in a manner that would have dropped debris on whose head? Jesus' head. Because they're digging right above him. But they want to get their friend before Jesus. So here's what happens. Then they lower the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, that's the faith of the four friends on the rooftop, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, what are you doing here and why are you interrupting my teaching? <laughs> no, he doesn't say that at all. <laughs> but what he does say is very interesting. My child, your sins are forgiven. Very interesting place to start. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves. That means it's, there, it's just in their headspace. They didn't even say this. Thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And I want to hold right there. There's a couple of things I want you to understand. See, Mark does not describe the reaction of the four friends on the roof. We don't know how they responded at this point. But we do know how the religious leaders responded. 
And I think this moment actually sets the tone and trajectory of Jesus' relationship with those religious leaders for the rest of his journey. So you have to understand something. In, in Jewish law, the ability to uh, receive forgiveness required several things. It required repentance, restitution, and sacrifice before the priest. So in order to experience forgiveness, those three things should have been present. And the, and the Jews also looked at it as if only God was able to, to forgive. Now, in the previous healing in chapter 1 of the man of leprosy, Jesus actually stayed more under the umbrella of the law. Because he healed the guy, and he said, hey, be quiet about it. And now go to the priests and offer your sacrifice. So he's kind of trying to stay under the umbrella at that point. But in this one, he steps outside. And that's why these guys are honked. That's why they're fired up. Now, the second thing I want you to understand is that when Jesus begins to engage this man, he starts with his deepest need first, not the surface or obvious one. He starts by addressing his deepest need, the, the need that would allow him to be able to come home. He started with relational healing before he moves to physical healing. He, he starts with the relational return before the physical return. There's no description of Jesus giving a greeting to this man, uh, the, no explanation for the intrusion provided in the scripture. There's not even a moment where Jesus asked the question of what do you want me to do for you, which he often did when people showed up with need in front of him. He just in this moment starts with sin and he absolves the man of sin, which for the Jews standing around him, the only one that could do that would be God. And when he does so, he's declaring his identity and connection to God. That's why these guys are upset. And in, and in addressing the relational need before moving to the physical need, that relational declaration of who he is is bigger than the physical healing that's about to take place. More significant. Let's go back to the text and check it out. Jesus knew immediately what they, and those are those scribes or religious leaders, what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Now, he's asking a rhetorical question, which means he's not looking for an answer. And what he's ultimately doing is he's setting up this mic drop moment. <laughs> he's about ready to do a mic drop moment. Because here's what he says next. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He's talking about himself. I'll prove it to you. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go where? Home. Home. Relational and physical. Relational return, physical return. Here's what the guy does. And the man jumps up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. And they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this. And notice it's all. Everyone there. Even the ones who were struggling with what was happening. Look, this, this story shows us the actions of four friends seeking to help a fifth person in that group experience restoration and healing from one man. They, they sacrifice to do it. They work to do it. They allow interruption in their lives to be able to see that happen and that be experienced. They facilitate a homecoming, one with spiritual relational healing, but also physical healing by what they did. And it was their faith that helped facilitate that. 
In fact, their faith is set in juxtaposition to the lack of faith of the religious leaders. And because of their faith, they create space for a homecoming. What are you willing to do so others can experience home? See, there's, this is a great moment but there's something else I want you to see that's implied in this text, and it connects to your next fill-in. It's the simple reality that interruption is an inherent part of coming home. Interruption is an inherent part of coming home. Allowing and embracing interruption facilitates homecoming. The four friends, they allowed an interruption to their day and their lives to facilitate this journey for their friend. The man himself allowed the interruption of being carried, set on the roof while they dug a hole to see something happen. Even Jesus allowed this bit of interruption in the dynamic. I mean, these guys probably had to climb an external staircase, get to the rooftop, dig down through. They're dropping debris all in and around the space. It is disruptive for Jesus and that whole group. Had to be. My family and I are actually right now in the middle of a remodel project for one of our rooms in our house. And the crew that's doing the work doing a great job, love it, how it's progressing. But I got to tell you something. A remodel in a home of even just one room is disruptive. It ripples in how we move and what we do and where things are stored. And it's, it's been disruptive. And this moment of pulling back the roof and creating the space to drop this man had to be disruptive. But interruption is an inherent part of coming home. And Jesus allowed it. He not only allowed it, he, he warmly and lovingly greeted and received the man into that space. He didn't get upset at the interruption. He allowed it in a way for the man to be able to experience something different. Then he created a space for the scribes, the religious leaders, another interruption space for them to experience relationship as it should be. He said, look, I'm going to, so that you know, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going I'm to create a moment here for you to experience relationship as it should be so that you understand who I am. So think about this with me. The friends allow space for interruption. The man allows space for interruption for his day. Jesus allowed interruption. The people, everybody standing around, allowed the interruption to happen as they waited for this thing to transpire. Interruption upon interruption upon interruption. So that healing and restoration can take place. So that there's the ability to come home. Interruption is an inherent part of coming home. That's true. But I want you to understand an, an implied push for how we live today out of this reality. And it takes us back to the question I offered you in the beginning. What are you willing to do so that others can experience home? What are you willing to do so that others can experience home? Home is a place of inclusion. It's space for others. That can be messy space. To be with others can be complicated. And it can often mean that we allow interruption to our plans, our ideas, our comfort, our preferences, even our very needs. Allowing the interruption. Life can be messy, but we're, we're more together than we are apart. And if we really want to see people come home as God intended, experience relationship as it should be, we need to look for ways to allow interruption to allow the interruption. 
If you want to see your friend restored into relationship as it should be, allow the interruption. You want to see your child experience relationship with God as it should have been, allow the interruption. You want to see your relatives step back into relationship with other relatives, allow the interruption. Allow the space for sacrifice. Allow the space for grace and mercy to be demonstrated. In many circumstances, we can be the obstacle to the reconciliation and redemption and the coming home that God desires in relationship with family or even relationship with God. When we don't allow the interruption or even more specifically, when we hold the debt they owe over their head, that often makes us the obstacle to a full homecoming experience. If you were with us when we kicked off the Home for Christmas series, you know we talked about a story that Jesus told. It was a parable, and a parable is a simple story with a spiritual truth. It's the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son, and many of you may be familiar with it, but it involves the younger of two brothers asking his dad for his inheritance early, and he runs off to a distant country, and he spends it all and squanders it all on wild living, and he ends up destitute until he finally decides to go home and just become a slave in his father's house. But when he comes home, he's not welcomed as a slave. He's welcomed as a son. The father lovingly embraces him. He's welcome and wanted in that space. He comes home. And then the father throws a party. We're familiar with that story. But, but that's not how the story ends. Jesus doesn't end the story talking about the younger brother who, who wandered away or even necessarily about the father. He, he focuses in on the older brother. The older brother who, who didn't rebel, who didn't squander his wealth, who... who didn't make poor choices. The older brother who, who stayed and did everything his father had asked. Jesus ends that story, this thing he described, our second moment to look at in the life of Jesus, around the older brother. Let's take a look at this. This is back into Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 28. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. Now, he's talking about the party. He wouldn't go into the party. He's outside on the porch and he's pouting. He wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. I mean, he's all churned up. He's struggling with this complexity and the interruption into his life. And he says, yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything, everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. He has come home. Relationship as it should be. See, the, the older brother was caught up in a sense of entitlement, even a sense of injustice. And, and he disrupted the full beauty and joy of his brother's homecoming by his unwillingness to allow the interruption. He, he was struggling in a sense of being owed something, He's, he's pouting on the porch because he sees a sense of incongruity and blessing and care. And, and, and we can sit here today and we feel like, man, that's just rude. I mean, just go into the party, dude. Enjoy and celebrate. 
But he's actually in a space that, that any one of us who follow Jesus can find ourselves in. There's a danger for, for any who follow Jesus to get to a place where we think that our right choices earn us something that others can't have. That our right choices earn us something that, that we can have and should have, but others shouldn't have. It's almost the idea that better choices mean better treatment or maybe even greater love. But God's love, God's love is constant. Never more, never less. It's not contingent upon what we do or don't do. His ability to bless us, well, that is. His, his pleasure in how we live and, and what we do in life, that's contingent connected on our choices that we make. But not his love. Or our ability to come home and be welcomed and wanted. What are you willing to do so others can experience home? Or not willing to do? See, when you and I embrace a perspective and a pattern of thinking like the older brother that says we deserve more attention or affirmation or blessing than those who have wandered from home, we've forgotten what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. And we all need it. And none of us deserve access to God. We're created for it. We long for it. But we've all sinned and fallen short. We've all squandered time, talent, and treasure. But it's the love of our Heavenly Father that allows us and others to come home if we will allow the interruption. Consider it this way. This is something that the Apostle Paul wrote. It's not in your note, God. It's just up here on the screen. Here's what he said. This is out of Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What he's doing is describing space for others. Space for others to come home. Then he goes on to say, bear with each other and forgive one another if any one of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. In that space, he's actually creating space for us. Because Jesus said, if we don't forgive, we're not forgiven. So he's creating space for others at the top part of that. And then he's creating space for us. And then he moves on from there and says this, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And that's space for the whole crew. What are you willing to do so that others can experience home? Thinking that we can get right with God, but then not position ourselves to make room or paths for others to join in on that creates a real problem in our relationship with God. If we think we can sit and say, look, I've got my ticket on the bus to heaven. I'm good. <laughs> not worried about the rest of the crew. We position ourselves outside of the heart of God. And we position ourselves with a huge problem with God. Because he wants us to be part of seeing others come home. To see everyone come home. And experience relationship as it should have been. Because fundamentally, home as God intended is a context of grace. It's a context of grace. When, 
when, when we want to create a space for home, it should be marked by the reality of grace. Not opening the door or allowing others to enter into the relationships that should be. It's just awkward. <laughs> but it's not just awkward, it's costly. Home as God intended is a context of welcoming. It's a context of, of inclusion for everyone. And it's, it's not based on our opinion or our preferences, but rather based on the love of God. And he seeks to facilitate it through our obedience, even if it's hard. Understand this. Jesus didn't want to die on the cross. You ever thought about that? He didn't want to. He even prayed a prayer. The Lord, take this cup from me, God, but not my will, your will be done. The reason he did what he did was out of obedience to create the ability for us to come home. And homecoming requires interruption. To, to come home requires us embracing interruption. Yet at Christmas time, this time of year, we're so busy, we're not live, really often living a life that allows interruption. We're not living the interruptible life that God wants us to have to allow our homecoming or the homecoming of others. But he wants that. He wants us to, fill, us to facilitate the space where home as he intended is marked by grace. Not to live as a people pouting on the porch or, or not to just sit there in a space where we're not opening the door. To do that and not allow others to enter, that is costly, but it is also awkward. It reminds me of the story of the pastor who was out doing home visitations with his congregation. And he went to one house and he knocked on the door and he clearly heard somebody inside, but they didn't come to the door. So he continued to knock a bit more, even rang the doorbell a few times, but, but nobody came. So he pulled out his business card and he wrote on the back of it, Revelation 3.20, and he stuck it in the door and he left. Well, that next weekend, he found that same card in the offering bucket, only this time it had a second scripture reference, Genesis 3.10. Now, he knew what he wrote in, when he referenced Revelation 3.20, but he had to look up the Genesis 3.10 moment, and as soon as he did, he began to laugh. Because Revelation 3.20, what he wrote, says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. But Genesis 3.10 says, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. <laughs> There are times it is inappropriate to open the door. That's one of them. But listen, it is also true that in situations of abuse or misconduct, restoring access without something else changing is not appropriate. The invitation I'm asking you to consider to create space for others to come home, to experience relationship as it should have been, is not an invitation to set aside appropriate boundaries or to position yourself in spaces of inappropriate risk where you are at danger or harm. I get that we have relationships in this world that are marked by that kind of thing. And in order for those relationships to be restored and to come home, often some other things need to change for us to give access again. I get that. I'm not necessarily talking about those moments. In order for us to lean into those things, we need clear leading of the Holy Spirit and often some other parameters around it. But I realize we all have other relationships that we need to risk in that are not going to expose us to danger or harm, but they're going to expose us to the discomfort of interruption and even the disappointment of the cost that it brings. What are you willing to do so others can experience home? that grace and that mercy to allow the interruption. Let's go to so what. 
See, the idea of, of giving home, it, it's multiplicative. It, it's a kind of thing where like love or a smile or kindness, I mean, you give that stuff away. It's, you got an endless supply available to you. When it comes to grace and mercy and forgiveness, there's an endless supply in Jesus. In fact, when I think about grace, grace is often like glitter for me. Like when you engage glitter around this time of year, you get that on you, it's on you, and it ends up everywhere. It's all over the place. And grace can be like glitter, where it's just everywhere, and the more you engage in the more it's everywhere. But I'll tell you, glitter can be annoying. <laughs> grace is not. Grace is a space by which we step into coming home and allow others to do it. And it can feel exhausting to think about a space where we allow that return. But it's life-giving. God loved us so much, he sent his son so that we can experience and have the ability to come home, relationship as it should be. Jesus coming positions us to be able to be restored in relationship with one another, but also with God. Christmas is all about coming home. So what are you willing to do so others can experience home this Christmas? I realize for some of you that's going to involve extending forgiveness where you don't want to. And the temptation is going to be to stay on the porch. Don't do it. For some of you, God is asking you to extend grace and mercy in areas where it feels uncomfortable and it feels costly. Some of you, he's inviting you to step in into a conversation where you speak the truth in love. Whatever the relationship is, whatever, whoever the person is you're thinking through in this dynamic, ultimately, the Lord is asking us to live as Jesus lived, to do what he did. And that takes us to the third moment in his life. It's the thing that he, it's something he did. And we find it in Philippians chapter 2, which is actually a great Christmas passage. Here's what we find. In your relationships with one another... In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He allowed the interruption. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus allowed the interruption. And because of what he did that first Christmas, man, there is a ripple today for us. An opportunity to experience life at a whole nother level. When God chose not to crush us for our rebellion, but instead to make a pathway towards redemption, he did it through Jesus so that we can all come home. He made a path. He chose to release and welcome us because we are wanted. You are wanted by God. He wants to welcome you home. He wants you to experience relationship as it should be. But in order for that to happen, you need to allow the interruption. You know, if you're someone who needs to do that today, man, I pray you do. I hope you step into a place where you can return home. 
If you want to go home to God and experience relationship with him as it should be, Jesus is the, is the one by whom we pass through to experience that. In the back of your note guide are the steps to stepping into that relationship. And if you have not stepped into coming home in relationship with God, you can do it today right where you're at, right now. I encourage you to do so. I pray you take that time to consider where you stand in relationship and you choose to come home. If you've already done that, well, now you're positioned to help others come home. And the reality is, if there is a person in your life and they are not walking in full relationship with God or with you, you can either be the conduit of that or you can be the obstacle. You can be someone who rips the roof off or you can pout on the porch. It's your choice. But the way you choose to handle that has, an, has a ripple into eternity. Position yourself to see others come home. As you process how you will do that, how will you create space for others to experience home, I want to offer you one further bit of counsel and challenge you to, to consider doing something this Christmas that will allow the homecoming in lots of different relationships. It's, it's something Jesus did. But here's what I ask you to do. I want you to let love cost you something. Let love cost you something. The four friends modeled this. The older brother struggled with this. But Jesus did this. Love sacrifices. Let love cost you something. Allow the interruption into your life and into what you're experiencing. Create this space where you rip the roof off so somebody can experience home. Create this space where you offer forgiveness. We can be someone who is a conduit or an obstacle. We can, we can dig a hole in a roof or we can sit and pout on the porch. What we decide actually matters. You know, right before Paul talks about Jesus emptying himself, becoming a servant and being humbled, uh, even to death on the cross, he says these words. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than, your, than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of, of others. What are you willing to do so that others can experience home? For some of us, those relationships are going to require us to risk, to choose love. Let love cost you something. Choose love, demonstrate love, be love. Be willing to release, be willing to forgive, inviting and engaging others to come home. In some of those relationships, you will need to go first. Be willing to do that. And watch how God responds as you offer reconciliation. Again, I'm not describing relationships that put us in harm's way or in danger. But the ones that still may come with a cost. A healthy cost that demonstrates the mindset and lifestyle of Jesus. Let it cost you. Give the gift of life in him. In all that's included in identity and freedom and hope and purpose. Give the gift of reconciliation this Christmas. Give the gift of coming home. It may be for some of you that you'll consider actually giving that key that you picked up as a tangible, practical expression of the invitation to come home. 
I encourage you not just to walk up to somebody, throw them the key and say, I forgive you and walk away. <laughs> Please don't do that. But instead, have the right, healthy, loving conversation where perhaps you then offer and extend the tangible expression of this key as forgiveness and an invitation to come home. You can do this. Not in your power or your strength, but in his. It may be a relationship that you have been paralyzed in that you can now find freedom and you can now stand again and you can go home and they can come home. Be willing to allow the interruption and let love cost you something because that's where the Lord does the miraculous. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your great love. I thank you, Father, that even when we have wandered and squandered time, talent, treasure, even when we have found ourselves pouting on the porch, even when we have considered the cost and backed away from reconciliation and redemption, you still love us. Your love never fails. Your love is constant. You never more, never less. So, Father, help us to live out of that love. Help, allow my brothers and sisters to see spaces where they, they will let love cost them this Christmas, where they allow the interruptions so that others can come home. Experiencing relationship with you as it should have been or experiencing relationship with others as it should be. Father, may you speak to us in this season and give us wisdom to navigate the complexity, but may you and your love prevail as a people saved by grace, Father. May you be honored and glorified as we create space for others to come home. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.